Austin for leading us in praise. Good to praise God in the good times and in the bad times when it's uh, going easy and when it's a struggle. Our message today, Rich Treasures Offsetting Serious Struggle. I don't always dress down like this, but I'm driving six hours and taking the train as well to my sons in uh, you know, the Campville area after the service. So I wanted to be comfortable, but I also wanted to be in solidarity with PEI. So this is my PEI souvenir uh, shirt. So just remember the folks that as we're having our good Thanksgiving celebrations and that, there's a lot of struggle going on out there to recover from Fiona. First section, grateful for a special pig. Are you ever thankful for all you could be thankful for? Are we ever thankful enough? This is a picture of our pet pig, Minnie. Her breed is partly American miniature, hence her name, Minnie. You can see my hand, and that's as big as she's going to get. Minnie is very thankful to live with us. You see, Patty is a vegetarian, so Minnie the pig will never end up on someone's plate as far as we know. In secular parlance, Minnie has hit the jackpot as far as a pig would be concerned. Minnie is a special pig and she is thankful. She is not the pig in the following story. A woman was visiting some people who lived on a farm and she noticed a pig limping in the backyard with a wooden leg. She asked the farmer, what happened to the pig? The farmer said, oh, Betsy is a wonderful pig. One night the house caught fire and she oinked so loud she woke us and we got the fire truck in time to save the house. The woman said, oh, that's really something. The farmer continued, that's not all. One day, my youngest fell in the pond, and Betsy oinked so loud that she got our attention. We were able to pull my daughter out of the pond in time. The woman said, well, that's really amazing, but I still don't understand why the pig has a wooden leg. The farmer said, well, when you have a pig that special, you don't want to eat it all at once. I think they could have expressed their gratitude a little better to such a special pig, but... Do we treat God a little bit like that? We're thankful for all he's done for us, yet we kind of presume upon him and take advantage of him, even forget God at times. Our attitude toward him could use some improving. In today's lesson, the Apostle Paul tries to help the church at Colossae understand better all God had done for them in Christ. How the mystery of Jesus' incarnation and crucifixion and resurrection could give them lasting fullness and purpose in living. Our big idea for today, the marvel of Christ's mystery prompts purpose in our pain. Next section, thankful for stuffing and nonsense coming to terms. At Thanksgiving, it's easy to be thankful for just the material side of things. You know, maybe enjoy a hearty turkey dinner, no pork, of course, with an extra slice of pumpkin pie and whipped cream, and you stuff yourself to the point that afterwards you just want to crawl off and curl up on a comfy couch somewhere for a nap. That's a very satisfying feeling, but it doesn't last. In a few hours, you'll be up and wandering about the house looking for leftovers to be a culinary chaser. 
when Paul was writing to the Colossians, there was a teaching called Gnosticism gaining popularity. We see Paul capturing some of their terminology and imbuing or infusing the words with new meaning. Gnosticism taught that spirit is good and matter is evil, a type of dualism. Thus, a person's body, which is matter, must be evil, in contrast with God, who is entirely spirit and therefore good. How could a person be saved? Not through trusting in Christ. The Gnostics held that salvation is escape from this evil body, and the way to do that is by special knowledge. The more you advanced in the training and levels of instruction, the closer you came to be one of the mature elite. Some Gnostics taught that since the body is considered evil, it's to be treated harshly, leading to asceticism, self-denial. We see this later in the book of Colossians, where Paul criticizes rules like uh, 2.21, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. In contrast to the ascetics, others in the Gnostic movement held that since matter is inherently evil, it's not breaking God's law that's evil, so that you can basically do what you like, leading to licentiousness. What you did with your body was basically irrelevant. Only the spiritual world mattered. Hmm. Do we see any of that in our culture today? What would be the Gnostic parallels now? Well, ascetics could be religious legalists, hyper-moralistic, or other religions that focus on works as a means of earning salvation. You've got to do enough works to outweigh your bad works on the eternal scale. To be holy, you've got to withdraw from the world. Keep in your spiritual bubble. Only go to approved church activities. Try to be better at keeping religious laws than the next person. For example, living as a strict Mormon. The U.S. Department of Health conducted a survey of Americans for 2020. Utah came in at number one in the country for what they termed mental health problems. A motto here might be, try harder. Secular folk would gravitate toward self-help books and podcasts, listening to motivational speakers, continually beating yourself up to excel in virtue. That's the ascetic side. On the other hand, those who might err on the side of licentiousness are well represented in culture. Party hearty, live it up, you only live once would be their motto. These might be a a no-holds-barred approach towards sex, drugs, alcohol, and the overwhelming food choices we are privileged to enjoy. Like the stuffed feeling after a rich Thanksgiving meal. It's nice for a short while, but does it really satisfy? Why does the fullness vanish so soon, leaving us hankering for the next high? Paul asserts that what people are searching for to fill that inner void can only truly be found in Jesus Christ. To make his case, Paul co-opts some of the terms popular amongst the Gnostics. Let's note some of these before diving into our passage. Let's come to terms. First, fullness. See 1.19.25 and chapter 2, 2 and 9. For the Gnostic, fullness meant the sum of the supernatural forces controlling people's fate. For Paul, fullness means the totality of God with all his powers and attributes encapsulated in Jesus. See, especially 
2.9. I'm going to steal from Pastor Mike's passage next week. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. In other words, Jesus is the only one who can truly satisfy us. Mystery is another key term Paul uses. He 126 to 243. In pagan, in pagan teaching, the so-called mystery religions, it referred to secret information available only to an exclusive group of people. Paul explodes that. For him, God's mystery is always something not to be kept concealed, but to be unpacked, disclosed, made plain, revealed. That's Paul's main mission, to proclaim the mystery of Christ, unpack it for folks to make it plain and understandable. Perfect is another code word for the Gnostics, meaning those who had become possessors of the secrets or knowledge boasted of by that particular religion. But for Paul, perfect would describe your ordinary garden variety Christian who was becoming mature in character in 128 and 2.2. A final more general term used in the pagan teachings was knowledge or wisdom. That's how you got saved and gradually ascended higher in the system by familiarizing yourself with deeper and deeper esoteric teaching, amassing knowledge until you're one of the elite. For Paul, wisdom is something he proclaims to everybody, 128. He maintains about Christ, 2.3, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. It's available in Jesus freely to all who believe. So please keep these special code words in mind as we go through today's passage. Paul is lassoing some of these terms used by pagan teachers and giving them more accurate meaning in relation to Orthodox Christianity. The strange struggle. Praise appreciates the Lord for who he is in his excellence, beauty, power, and radiance. Thanksgiving honors the Lord for what he has done for us, his actions rather than his being. It's not too hard to thank God when things are going well, but what about when the going is rough, when there's pain, when things don't turn out as you'd hoped? Can you still thank God even then? That becomes more of a sacrifice. How Paul begins this section may take us aback. 124. Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. How can he say he actually had joy about the suffering? Paul endured imprisonment, beatings, shipwrecks, stoning, hunger, exposure, and other physical trials, all because he was Christ's messenger. See 2 Corinthians 11 for a good list. How could he put up with it? And more than that, how could he even become thankful or rejoice in it all? He sees it as connected to Jesus' sufferings for the sake of the church. As verse 24 notes, they are Christ's afflictions. Paul is filling up in his flesh. Not that anything was lacking in the atonement for sinners Jesus accomplished at the cross, but his salvation has its outworking through difficulties believers encounter as they spread his message. 
Paul identifies with Jesus in affliction, even as Jesus identifies with his followers who are hurting. Recall Acts 9.4. Paul, Saul then, fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Paul and Saul had been persecuting Christians, not actually Jesus, yet Jesus took it personally, as if the hardships were being done to himself. Also, Paul can stand the suffering because he knows it's happening for a reason, a goal. There's purpose in his trials. Verse 24, for this, I've got to go back there, for the sake of his body, which is the church. Also in verse 25, Paul says God gave him a commission to present the word of God in its fullness to his audience. He's fulfilling a stewardship entrusted to him, an administration or management he's been put in charge of. See more of this purpose in verse 28, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. Verse 29, to this end I labor, struggling, and to two, my purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding. Whenever you see words like that and so that, there's purpose reflected there. Paul has a goal, an objective that makes the hardship worthwhile. Our big idea again for today, the marvel of Christ's mystery prompts purpose in our pain. A surprising secret. What happens when you get a parcel delivered from FedEx? Well, our dog gets a treat, a little baked dog bone, but besides that, you open up the package to see what it is. You don't just say, well, I guess it's a box with something inside, but I'll just leave it over there to age for a couple of years. A parcel delivered is meant to be unpacked. Paul sees himself as a courier service of sorts. He has a very valuable parcel to deliver, and not to leave taped up, but to be taken out and put on display for all to see. This brings us to that concept of mystery we were talking about earlier. In so-called mystery religions, the secrets were kept for the initiated and the elite, but the mystery of Christ is to be unpacked for everyone, both Jew and Gentile. Verse 26, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Also, 2-2, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. The written revelation of Scripture down through the centuries had been pointing ahead to the illuminating of this wonderful mystery, that Almighty God would somehow become incarnate, one of us, and make reconciliation for sinners to his holy being. No human mortal would be good enough being sinful from birth, who would be a sufficient sacrifice? How could God, the only perfect one, make atonement to God? Where the Trinity comes in, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Would Messiah be deliverer for Jews only or for the nations besides? These were wonders the Old Testament sages and prophets only had glimpses of. But now, 
the apostles and other New Testament figures could see it all unfolding in retrospect. Jesus himself had explained to the two dejected disciples on the Emmaus Road how the scriptures pointed to himself. Luke 24, 26, Jesus said, Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Jesus is the, the hermeneutical or interpretive key that unlocks the whole Bible. And the wonder is not just that Christ comes, it's that he comes in. The Holy Spirit makes it possible for us to experience fellowship with Jesus right inside us. This mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The Spirit is our earnest, I'm kind of partial to that word, but it's earnest with an A there, our earnest or advanced deposit or down payment on what's to come. By faith, Jesus comes into our lives and transforms us more and more into his likeness from the inside out. Two, two so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. To know or experience a relationship with Jesus, walking with him, praying to him, hearing his voice, coming to understand the kingdom, beginning to see life through his eyes, sensing his hand upon us and guiding us. That is a mystery worth unpacking your whole life long. It's not just cerebral in your head, but felt at your heart. Like the Jesus knocking at your door verse, Revelation 3.20. I'll come into him and eat with him and he with me. It's a, a sit-down dining, like a multi-course feast. Not just a quick burger standing on the sidewalk. The pious first century Jew, such an intimacy between a person and the maker of heaven and earth would have been shocking unthinkable, inconceivable, let alone to an unclean Gentile. But that's what Jesus invites us to. Robertson's word pictures comments on 127. It is the personal experience and presence of Christ in the individual life of all believers that Paul has in mind. The indwelling Christ in the heart, as in Ephesians 3.17. says, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. It's a dwelling, not a flip through. Section, the sustaining strength. The Christian life is a struggle, Paul admits. There's suffering involved. He hadn't even met the people at Colossae or Laodicea, as far as we know. There were likely church plants by other converts, such as Epaphras, mentioned in 1.7. Paul says in 2.1, I want you to know how much I am struggling for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. It's tough for Paul. He's likely writing from prison in Rome. But he's doing it for all who will believe his message. There's purpose in it. The riches of the mystery of Christ justify the agony and ill treatment. Plus, Paul has an internal charging dock Persevering in the pain as possible because of this personal power of plug-in. Read 129. To this end I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so 
powerfully works in me. Struggling, yes. Labor, yes. But not just on Paul's own ability. He says, Christ's energy so powerfully works in me. New Living Translation. Depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. More literally, his energy that energizes me dynamically. Perhaps a hint here of that great verse, Philippians 4.13, where Paul said, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. That mystery of Jesus in me doesn't remain a vague, abstract concept. Christ himself gives us power and ability to face each challenge as it comes. They could lash Paul, they could stone him, they could shipwreck him three times, they could lock him up and chain him 24-7 to smelly Roman guards, but somehow he just kept on ticking. The same supernatural strength from Jesus helps the church stay firm. Through five. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is is. John MacArthur comments that this good order and steadfast faith are both military terms depicting a solid rank of soldiers drawn up for battle. Christ's power helps strengthen the individual and the church for his purpose in the face of opposition from forces of culture and the enemy that would undermine it. Big idea once more. Can you say it with me? The marvel of Christ's mystery prompts purpose in our pain. Last section. I hope you said thank you, Graham. Can we thank God for the mystery of Christ living in us, revealing God's wisdom and understanding, giving us power for his purpose and stick to in our struggles? Can we rejoice in what was suffered, like Paul says? Yes, Thank him for that great food and ginormous turkey dinner. But thank him for the power and grace Jesus gives even when you're hungry and feeling beaten like Paul. Thank him continually. I should clarify, I'm not against eating pork. I eat pork too, in case you're wondering. But the, yeah, turkey's good today. I close with a true story. Apologies to pork farmers out there. I close with a true story Nicky Gumbel shares in his commentary on Bible in One Year about a woman who suffered long but learned to thank God for a miraculous healing. Nikki recalls, Jean Smith told me her story. She was in her mid-60s. She came from Qumran in Wales. She had been blind for 16 years. She had a white stick and a guide dog named Tina. An infection had eaten away at the retinas and mirrors behind her eyes. They could not be replaced. She was in constant pain. Jean went on a local alpha course. They had a day away to focus on the work of the Holy Spirit. During this time, the pain left. She went to church the following Sunday to thank God. The minister anointed her with oil. As she wiped the oil away, she could see the communion table. God had miraculously healed Jean. She had not seen her husband for 16 years. She was surprised at how white his beard was. Jean had never even seen her daughter-in-law before. Her six-and-a-half-year-old grandson used to guide her around the puddles to avoid getting her feet wet. He said to her, Who done that, Gran? She replied, Jesus made me better. 
I hope you said thank you, Gran. I will never stop saying thank you, she answered. Nikki Gumbel concludes, like Jean, Paul was also constantly giving thanks to God. He had an attitude of gratitude. Praise is giving glory to God for who he is. Thanksgiving is giving glory to God for what he has done for us. It is the lens through which to view our entire life. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this marvelous gift of Jesus, your Son, coming right inside us, helping us know you, giving us rich understanding of your ways and your purpose for us. Forgive us when we grumble because of hardships and suffering. Jesus, you suffered so much to bring us to yourself. How can we ever stop saying thank you? Give us courage and boldness to share these riches with others so that they too may be encouraged in heart and united in love, your awesome love. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Ernest.